Well, it may have been lessened somewhat, but we're still under lockdown. But I tell you what hasn't been lessened. In fact, it has been increased. Is Hockey the Podcast. Welcome back to another fantastic show. And I know I'm being extremely biased. We host it, we produce it, we present it. The works. But uh, I still reckon it's fantastic. Another man who certainly agrees with me is my esteemed colleague and co-host and friend, uh, on the other side of Johannesburg right now, we've got Tyron Jabu Bonard. Tyron, how's it going? Yeah, Derek, good evening. Um, great to be here again. I think, uh, yeah, look, we, we've seen some amazing hockey content coming out from people during the lockdown. And of course, uh, when when you talk about amazing content, you have to look at Radio Media's Hockey, the podcast, because we're not going to settle for uh, anything other than the best hockey guests to to uh, fill your lockdown listening with uh, moments of great joy. Yeah, you've been superb in getting the best of the best as far as the guests are concerned. So kudos to you. And you mentioned Radar Media, of course. It's a company that we represent. So yeah, we are going to throw the names out every now and then. And, and I know we've mentioned it before, but it must be said that uh, the lockdown sports quiz that we've been hosting every Tuesday night, it started off to get people into the sporting swing of things, given the dearth of sport uh, currently uh, underway. And and it's just grown legs. And, and it's great to have had hockey people join us over the course of the last few weeks. We had uh, Rusty Peterson, who, of course, has been a guest on Hockey the Podcast. And more recently, uh, we had Lloyd Norris-Jones. Yeah, look, I mean, it's, it's just great to be able to talk about sport. And obviously for us right now to be able to talk about hockey just takes it up another level um you know the lockdown is uh, mentally exhausting for many people uh the the uh what's the word that i'm looking for the escape that uh, comes from sports is not available and uh, what we've seen very quickly on the the sports quiz is how badly we want sport back in our lives and you know, the, the podcast is just another way that we can do that for everybody. Yeah, it really has been eye-opening how much people have taken to it. And it's exactly because of that. I mean, firstly, it has been entertaining. So even though we do run the thing, uh, uh, no shame in saying that. But on top of that, it's exactly like you say. People are craving, they're needing, they're wanting sport. And as soon as you stop providing sport on a platform which they can watch or, or hear, then you slowly get into a rhythm where you, you end up not speaking about it anymore. And we certainly don't want that to be the case. Uh, so it's been really great in terms of the podcast. We've been able to bring hockey to the masses despite there being no hockey being played. And again, with the, the quiz, for instance, people are getting into a, a conversation again which, with sport, which, which I've absolutely loved. And, and speaking of conversation, we've got a, a supreme guest in conversation with us uh, this evening, Ty. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, if you're going to go and uh, try and punch at the top of, of uh, the leaderboard in terms of quality, which is exactly what we're going to do, you are going to come up with this gentleman tonight. He is a man who represented South Africa 150 times. I'm pretty sure 50 of those were his captain. Represented us at the Athens Olympics as well as led us at the Beijing Olympics. It is none other than central men's hockey legend, Bruce Jacobs. Bruce, welcome to the show. Wow, thank you for that, Ty. Um, yeah, thank you for having me. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure, Bruce. Uh, I'm fortunate enough that I get to interact with you on a, a fairly regular basis with uh, PSR. And so that's probably a good place uh, for us to start. 
PSI is a massive indoor hockey fraternity here in South Africa. You are one of the, the key men behind it. Obviously, uh, Simon Martin is the first name. Yours is definitely very close to being the second name. What, what is it about PSI that makes it so special? Yeah, Ty, I'll be honest with you. I go back to when I first heard about PSI. It was way back when I was still playing in the national side. And Simon Martin, uh, together with another uh, national player, Steve Evans, with the two brainchild children behind this, this product. Um, and, and at the time when, when we heard about PSI in the national team, we were just like, oh yeah, PSI is cool, cool. I would never have thought that this product of developed and grown to, into what it is at the moment. I've been fortunate enough to be involved with PSI on a full-time basis after I retired uh, back in 2009. And uh, I was never really big on indoor hockey, to be honest. Um, but having my first taste of PSI, I could truly understand what the whole buzz and craze was. People, the players, the the parents, the coaches, I mean, South Africa, you mentioned it, South Africa is hockey, I mean, not hockey, sport crazy, and we're passionate. And the passion displayed by these people on the indoor court was, was just something that you couldn't not want to be a part of. So so for me, I've been involved with PSI since 2009. And what's it, 16, 17 years, the journey has been incredible. Um, looking back now, phew, I'm, I'm so blessed. And, and, and for me, it was also about timing. I mean, I remember I was at the crossroads having retired and Simon approached me and he said, do you want to get involved with PSI? And I was like, yeah, okay, maybe. And and looking back now, I can't thank Simon Martin enough for giving me this opportunity. And and together with a lot of other people that, that really played a big role in, in growing PSI, it's just incredible. And it's actually very rewarding to see the, the impact and the influence and, and, and what PSI could do or has done for a lot of, of the hockey uh, players in South Africa. Yeah, and, and obviously in your role there, you also are a franchise owner with the Boerland Foxes. I mean, how much uh, day-to-day work is there in, around being a franchise owner? Well, you know, it, it all depends uh, because, you know, indoor hockey is also seasonal like outdoor hockey. Mm. So, you have your tournaments, uh, your main tournament being the national tournament in December. But during the year, and it, it differs in the various regions. So, for example, Western Cape, which is Cape Town, Boerland, uh, West Coast, etc., all the franchises, our, our hockey, indoor hockey seasons really happens in the first term of the school, of the school term, which is January, February, March. And then we also... Uh, have a little tournament and then we have a bit of a break in between to focus on the outdoor season and then again in September we kick up again with the third, fourth term as we prepare for for national. So you're really quite busy for probably four months uh, of the year but during the year as well there's a bit of planning as well Uh, but it's not not a full-time thing to say so you can't really uh, say that you're giving PSI or your franchise every day, the attention every day, but it does become quite busy during those busy periods, especially in the in-season. I can imagine it becomes extremely busy during those busy periods. And was that fairly eye-opening, the the fact that you had to be so hands-on during the times when you were sorely needed? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, now as, as we grow, I mean, 
you think about it, when you have in your league, for example, my league, when I initially started with Simon, or Simon gave me the franchise, we started off fairly small, probably about 50 uh, players. And I mean, it's grown now. My franchise personally has grown up to over 600. So you, you can imagine you're not only dealing with with the players, you're also specifically dealing a lot of admin is with the parents. So it, it does take a lot of your time. And, and up a lot of a lot of my coaches and a lot of franchises have, have really uh, empowered a lot of their coaches. I've now also kind of got some people to help me out in terms of different aspects. I have a franchise manager that helps me manage. I have a, a, a media person that helps me with the media, etc. So the, the, the franchises have evolved from back then. So it certainly does take a lot of your time. And, and more and more now as the years progress, it does become but more of a full-time, if you'll if you be honest, if I was honest. Risa, before we move away from PSI and then talk more about your, your hockey career, is there another franchise you enjoy the, the victory over a little bit more than others? Yeah, it goes without saying. I mean, having... Myself and Simon in the, in the same office is always strong banter. So there's nothing that gives me more joy than to beat the Seals. But it's all in good spirit. Uh, myself and Simon, you know, we always have these these, these little wages and little banters before nationals, etc. And uh, I mean, look, Cape Town has, has been uh, one of the strongest franchises. And for me, I'll, I'll always rub it in when we do, when Foxes do keep uh, one over the, the Seals now and then. All right. Yeah, look, I mean, uh, they, they, it's created some great rivalry. I'm doing these chats with the, the indoor hockey guys on on Instagram, and, and all of them have a little rivalry from PSR that they just means that a little bit more to them, and it's created such a great dynamic in our provincial hockey now. So it, it really is a wonderful product, and it really is creating something that uh, is not just uh, coaching the kids for the future, but leaving a fantastic... Um, camaraderie amongst the guys when they do look for higher honours. Absolutely. Speaking of higher honours and, and staying on indoor, of course you never played indoor hockey for South Africa, but you have been to the World Cup as a team manager. You have also been a selector for the indoor hockey men. Have you enjoyed those roles, being on the sideline? Absolutely. I mean, having the opportunity to to be involved uh, as a player is one thing, but being involved as a manager and a selector, you really get to, to understand <laughs> and then also really appreciate how, how every every part of, of a team is integral to the success of a team. So uh, when you're a player, you really just focus on playing and you don't really, you know, you know there's a manager, there's a physio, there's all this coach, etc. But you really don't know the intricate details because you're so self-focused on, on, on playing. Now that I was a manager, it just gives me a, a new respect and, and also a better perspective because I'm, I wouldn't say I'm, I'm evolving, but it's not, and it's not also saying I'm doing a full 360, but having played, having managed, having coached, having selected all the spectrums, I, I can truly appreciate and, and understand and, and say that it, it takes everyone to make a team successful. Bruce, we've looked at uh, you being a jack of all trades when it comes to management, administration, coaching, etc. And and sure, you, you're filling the job with, with great aplomb, so kudos to you. But let's step back a year 
or two or a decade or two <laughs> to the start <laughs> of your playing days. And I mean, did you ever envisage that you would achieve what you have achieved over the course of your playing career uh, when you first stepped out onto that hockey field? And I'm, and I'm going back right to the beginning. I mean, as a, as a little kid, you know, when you first picked up a stick. Yeah, certainly. I mean, look, you go back to, to my start of my hockey career, and I've always been told, and I've looked at various pictures, I was crawling. I was not walking yet, and I had a hockey stick in my hand. And the reason why is because my family, when I say my family, my father, and he had five brothers, they were all hockey players. I mean, they were good sportsmen, but they all played hockey. And so it was a natural progression and inevitable, having grown up, and going to watch my father play hockey as a kid and and he was truly my role model from the very beginning um i truly just wanted to be like my father and and one of the things i said as a youngster uh probably from the age of about eight when i knew what olympics was i said one day i want to go to the olympic games that was my dream right from the very beginning so i started playing hockey officially when I was seven years old, and at that day, at that time, sorry, there was only an under-16 age group. And so I was playing at the age of seven, eight, in an under-16 age group. So you can imagine my first few years was just about having, uh, just having the honor and, and, and the excitement of being on the field. There were very many, many matches that I hardly touched the ball, but just being on the field was, was something that I really enjoyed. And so my passion obviously grew from there. So that's taken me way back when I started. So to say, have I envisaged? Sorry, absolutely. I I always wanted to to play for my country. I always wanted to represent my 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 country, um, and and to be able to be afforded that opportunity, I am so forever grateful, and I'm obviously grateful to all those people that played the role way back then to up to the time when I was playing in the national side that have helped me achieve that, that dream and that goal. You're not the first person that we've had on the show who comes from a hockey family. And that's often the case where, where someone who's achieved as much as you have in, in sport, that uh, there obviously is some backing in the genes and, and motivation from family members, etc. And you say that it was a natural progression. And, and that's something else that I've found because – you know, the, the best sports biography I've ever read was that of Andre Agassiz. And, you know, he said that growing up, he absolutely hated tennis because his old man made him hit a tennis ball from the age of two or three. And he had to hit something like a thousand balls a day at a machine. And, and he absolutely hated every single second of it. And yet, yeah. I, I've spoken to people, and, and as mentioned, who, who come from a, a sporting background. And I said, you know... Um, was it kind of forced upon you? And, and they said, absolutely not. And, and it is exactly that. It was a natural progression in that they just followed what they saw and they wanted to do that. I, so was there, the question is, I mean, was there pressure on you to, to go in, to follow the footsteps of, of your dad and, and the uncles or, or did they just say, well, do what you want to do and, and you ended up doing what they do? You know, Derek, I've, as a kid, I've tried many sports and, and for me there was there was certainly no pressure from my parents specifically my father to say you're going to play hockey um i wanted to play hockey i in fact when i reached i was a good ho- soccer player if i may say so myself and i was playing soccer and then rushing off to playing hockey up until an 
stage of under 14, I think, where I realized now it's really taking its toll. And I, if I really want to focus and, and excel at, at one of these sports, but I have to make that decision. And, and my father supported whatever decision I was going to make. He never said, okay, I need you to stop playing soccer. Or I need you to stop playing tennis or whatever. And I want you to focus on hockey. Uh, he supported whatever sport I played. I mean, he would take me to the hockey, uh, to the soccer field and then pick me up, take me to the hockey field. So so for me, I was never, I never felt pressured to play hockey. It is just something that I really was passionate about. And I, I really felt that I had the, the talent. And, and that's something that I pursued. Risa, your, your career then led you to, uh, obviously, your international call-up. You made your debut under Revs uh, as a 24-year-old. And obviously, not long after that, a couple of years later, you were at the Athens Olympics um, in 2004, where arguably, for many people, it's still the tournament where South Africa played the best hockey. What was that experience like for you, becoming an Olympian? Wow, you know, I get that I get that question a lot, and and for me, you can you can only really give them a, a taste of what it's like. And and for me, if, if people ask me that, I'm saying, you know, going to the Olympics is the pinnacle of most sports people, and and, and of course, hockey players as well. You get you get the other events, you get Commonwealth Games, you get World Cups, but the pinnacle is the Olympic Games, and and going there to an Olympic Games is is something that you can't really describe. It's, you, you really have to experience that to know the feeling. And, and the reason why I say that is because it was always a childhood dream of mine to go to the Olympic Games. And, and 2004 was a special year because we took it really, we, we were really tested. And, and it, it, it really, the team really grew because the journey qualifying was so immense and intense that it actually made going to that actual Olympic Games in 2004 so much more special as a, as a team because we really knew what we had to put in and, and that was the reward now finally of going to the Olympic Games. But for me personally, it only really sank in when I was actually sitting at the opening ceremony. Before you go out with your country, you go into this holding area in the, in the stadium or outside the main stadium. You sort of wait for your for your country's name to be called up and you get ready to go and walk out the stadium. And you can hear the crowd and you, and you can see the screens, the TV screens of this like, 75,000 uh, spectators and supporters outside the stadium waiting for all the countries to, to walk down and, and go down the, the track. And sitting there, I just had this, you know, we were singing and it was jovial and we had all the, all the countries sitting around there. And then suddenly I was sitting there and it just, just dawned on me. I, I just thought about what it actually took for me to get you and all the people that were involved and, and the, the one thing that I thought back to that very moment was my, my parents and, and knowing the sacrifices they had to make for me. And mm-hmm. I just had this, this inclination to, to pick up the phone and I SMSed my, my I remember SMSing my father and I just said two words and all I said was thank you and that was it. And he knew how much that two words meant and where it was coming from because this was the dream that I've always wanted. And I know that this is a dream that... Um, a lot of people never had the opportunity, um, including my father, who was an exceptional hockey player as well. So I was representing more than just myself. I was certainly representing all those people that sacrificed a lot and that were good enough but never had that opportunity. So it was very special. It's, it's, it's indescribable going to an Olympic Games travel. Uh, yeah, and, and Bruce, I love that you said that because Ali Fredericks had a very similar 
similar thing. I mean, obviously, you you grew up with a lot of people who played in the SACOS um, environments and, and were never afforded the opportunity to represent their nation. Um, and and so when you do it, you are not only doing it for yourself, you are doing it for the hopes and dreams of many others. And, and of course, uh, it's wonderful to see because uh, our current squad, um, and I actually remarked on this to you in USA, uh, when we were sorry, not in USA. I've never been there. When we were playing USA, yeah. um, you as convener selectors, and nobody picked us up at the time, but I thought it was fant- fantastic. We were playing USA, and uh, Coach Gareth Ewing was just rotating the squad as per normal, and there was a stage just before halftime in the, the game which we won six two, where ten of the eleven players on the field, all completely there on merit, were players of colour. So, you know, the wheel has turned completely um, and the South African public love it. They support whoever's wearing the green and gold shirts and it must be quite heartening for you to see how hockey has evolved from a transformation point of view. 100% job. Well, that, that for me, and I remember you coming to me at that match and, and I myself and a couple of selectors sitting there, we didn't really pick that up until you mentioned it and we actually sat and we said, oh yeah, and we counted it. And it just shows because it shows how, how we have progressed and, and how um, people have developed and, and, and the team is now not focusing on, you know, how many players of colour are playing, are they good enough, are they token players. We can categorically say there are players there now that are there on merit. And, and, in, and when I was a player as well, there was, you know, we were very much a minority, we were about two or three, and you almost felt, that you needed to prove yourself so much more because you didn't want. And as South Africans, I think that is the biggest thing. We we don't, we don't, we have the fear of being judged. And we always wanted to prove because we didn't want people to judge and say, are oh, you there of the color? But now, looking back, it's, it's incredible what, um, what hockey and how hockey in South Africa has evolved to exactly that that you're saying, that mm. the, the, there's so many players from previous disadvantage from era or the communities that are that are playing and giving this opportunity and they're there because they deserve to be there. Yeah, look, it's something truly wonderful for me. Um, I wasn't doing it for any article purpose. It just was something that I thought was beautiful. Lisa, yeah. If we go back, though, to your playing, 2004, the Olympics was really good. It was a great experience. Um, the road to 2008 was a little bit of a bumpy one, though. Yeah, I think it was. Um, and, and I'll be honest with you, I didn't. Uh, I mean, I was. It was a huge honor for me to 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 lead the country and, mm. and to be the captain, lead the, the country in hockey. Uh, but the, leading the, the the team, there was a lot of other aspects that you had to deal with. And, and for me, I certainly didn't enjoy dealing with the with the should I say politics side of things because you know you had to go in ten meetings with Saskop and you almost had to keep motivating why the team should go. And, and, and it became very political and it, it sort of took away from from the focus and and for me um, it, it was it was quite distracting um, and so it was quite tough uh, because we weren't sent in 2000 to the Olympic Games and I just cracked into the team then um, and then in 2004 we went and we almost didn't go because they you know we had to really fight. And we, I almost felt that every Olympic year, we as South African 
hockey, we always had to fight and justify. And, and it wasn't just about qualifying normal. It was always, politics were always brought into it as well. And it was very draining, specifically in 2008. So it wasn't the best year. And it certainly wasn't the uh, the way I would have liked to, to end my, my career, hockey career. But I was still very grateful and very honored and privileged to be able to, to go to an Olympic and, and be the captain of, of the South African hockey side. Bruce, uh, did if that did that play a role in in your decision to retire? I mean, you spoke about the fact how you always dreamt of being an Olympian. So in two thousand and four, you achieved that goal. So it's actually a, I've got yeah. two questions for you. So before we get to that, the the, the bigger one, um, let's go back to two thousand and four. And you said during the opening ceremony, you, you messaged your dad, and and yeah, you were blown away. Did the Olympics live up to the hype? I mean, the rest of the tournament playing aside, the actual event itself, being in Athens, being surrounded by the best of the best as far as sporting achievement is concerned, um, were you able to take it all in as well um, and, and break away from, from the field for, 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 for moments of, of a time? Yeah, Derek, we certainly did have some, some free time. And, and uh, to answer your question, yes, it certainly lived up to the hype. I mean, it was very significant that it was in Athens uh, because the first Olympic Games was held in Athens. So I was also very privileged to be a part of that. Um, and there was incredible uh, the culture is so rich in Athens. And, and for me, looking back, um, I wish if I could turn back time, I wish I could immerse myself more with the, the culture of the places that we went. So so for me in, in Athens, it was incredible to to during our downtime to actually go and and look at the various sites and, and just to go and, and walk around and, and and go and obviously visit uh, the markets and stuff and get to learn about the, the people because they had a tough time in, in Greece. People in Greece really had a tough time with the, the economy, etc. But they they were so welcoming and, and you could just feel it wherever you walked. I mean, you walked outside in the in the cities and stuff. You could just feel, you know, the Olympic Games was there and everyone was happy and, and supportive. So, yeah, so the Olympic Games in, in Athens was special. It was my first one. And it certainly did it did live up to the hype. And I know as my Revs, funny enough, he really, uh, he, was, he was a great coach. I mean, I have the utmost respect. But he, he certainly was difficult in terms of uh, giving us some free time. But I think he understood we needed some free time and, and to do some things outside of the village, etc. cetera. But yeah. It wasn't training. Or, yeah, yeah my, my, a lot of my family live in Greece and uh, a lot of them actually based in Athens. So I was there a few years ago and uh, I went to go and have a look at uh, some of the Olympic venues. And, and that's probably one of the saddest things. I mean, we all know what happened with South Africa in the build-up to the 2010 FIFA World Cup. We're worried that uh, all these brand new stadia that we spent uh, millions of rands on, um, would they become white elephants? And thankfully, that, that hasn't really been the case. Uh, they've been incorporated into other sports, and they're pretty much uh, almost fully utilized, which is great to see. Uh, it, it hasn't been the case over in Athens, unfortunately, because uh, a lot of those things have just gone to rack and ruin. And uh, oh, it's horrible to see. So the images that have come through, I mean... Yeah, looking back at those heady days in 2004. And as you said, I don't know if you're aware, because Athens were pushing to get the, the 1996 Olympics uh, that, that eventually went to Atlanta, because that would have been the centenary, because the original Olympics took place in, in 1896. So they were going for the 100-year mark. 
and and they lost out to Athens for some bizarre reason. Uh, not so much about Athens not getting it, but how Ath- uh, uh, Atlanta got it is, is it boggles the mind. But um, yeah, so then they went on to 2004, and it was really really great to see. So. Very, very sad to see what's happened since then, knowing what we saw over that two-week period. But now moving ahead, so four years later, um, over in Beijing, we spoke about the build-up. wasn't the greatest of build-ups. Uh, uh, you were tasked with the captaincy, though, which is great. But, yeah, going back to that original question, did the having to manage the political side of things as the man in the front line leading your troops, did that have some bearing in the way of uh, you deciding to call it a day? No, look, Derek, I've, I've actually set myself a target. So after the Athens Olympics, it was such a special Olympics. And, you know, like like you said, I've achieved what I wanted to. It was a dream of mine and I achieved it. And I had to do a bit of reflecting afterwards because I, had, at the time as well, you put a lot of your, your career and other stuff on, on hold. So you sacrificed your career, your studies, etc. And I think I was reaching that age where I really had to consider now that you know you've achieved your dream you need to now kind of refocus and 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 look at other priorities but i just felt that i still had so much in me especially after having such a successful athens campaign i just felt that i I still wanted to push and uh, in 2005 when revs phoned me at the end of 2000 said look he explained to me you know making me the was during 2005 and saying i want you to be the captain etc i just felt okay um, this is some sort of sign. I want to push to the next Olympics. I still felt strong enough, but I knew then, 2005, that that was going to be my finish line. I said that's going to be my target. And after Olympics, 2018 Beijing, that's where I'm going to call it. I also kind of knew that in terms of milestones, it was going to be close to my 100 and 160, and I thought that was fine. Also, I knew that I was at an age where I had a, a my girlfriend and I have been dating for a long time and, and I knew that I wanted to now start to settle and start a family and focus on my career. So so I've, I've always planned to stop at 2008. And that's why I said it was quite disappointing that I, it didn't quite work out the way I wanted to end it. But I, I always knew. And it was also sad that a lot of that team in 2008 in Beijing never officially made their retirement announcement. And I made that announcement at the Olympic Games and I received a fairly good send-off. But it's just sad that a lot of those players that just, you know, retired without making an announcement and not really getting the send-off or the, the thanks that they actually deserved. Yeah, it's, it's an interesting statement, that, because there's actually a press article um, in 2009 that talks about all the retirements hit SA men's hockey quite heavily, but yours is the only name mentioned. So it's it's quite interesting. They talk about seven players retired yeah. after Beijing, but only yours is mentioned. And I can't find any other reference to players. I mean, obviously we can work it out and we know who didn't play again, but it's as you say, it, it, it almost feels like a few of them were potentially not considered for for more caps. Yeah, I think it could possibly be that. I think guys were still wanting to see where they were going to go and if they wanted to carry on, I'm, I certainly know that having spoken to a few of my teammates then, they they weren't 100% sure. They were, were indicating that they might retire, but I knew from the onset and I made it very clear, this is it, I'm retiring. Uh, and maybe you're right, maybe some of the guys first were still probably hoping and inspiring to, to continue, but they just probably didn't get selected because there was also a change of 
of uh, coaching. No, sorry, uh, that time it was uh, yeah, Clarky. Yeah. So, um, yeah. <coughs> um, Bruce, then, I mean, stepping away from your international career and looking at your club career, obviously Central has been the biggest part of it. You did yes. play for a couple of other clubs in South Africa. You also played in Holland in the Werfteklasse. I'm not sure which team you played for. Um, Sorry, I played, played for Rotterdam the first year, and then I moved over to Hardien. So. Okay, fantastic stuff. Uh, England for a couple of seasons? Yes. And a year in Australia, from what I could find. Was, yeah, was, yeah, yeah, go for it. No, sorry, you continue. No, I was just going to say, of all of those those clubs, taking Central out of it, because I know your heart lies with Central, is there a, a fond uh, a fondness in your heart for any of the other clubs that you played for? Like maybe a little bit more than the others? Yeah, I would say so. I mean, for me, when I when I went to to Australia, that was my first taste of, of international, of touring and of, of playing uh, international or, sorry, playing abroad. I mean, I was very young. I think I was 20, so that was my first day. So I went to go play for a club, and, and that was all good. Uh, it was really just about, you know, getting that experience and life experience. But then I really had an opportunity in 2000 uh, to go to, to Holland. Uh, and for me, I've said it before, that was the, the changing moment in, in my hockey career and that changed my hockey career from an international aspect because I don't believe if I had not gone to play in the World Cluster that I would have cemented my place in the national side because I was really fighting but having had the exposure of playing at that level certainly cemented my place and established myself as an as a international hockey player. So so for me that was, was the great positive but if you ask me about really what I really enjoyed I really enjoyed after I just, uh, I think it was 2005, uh, I went to England uh, to England and played for a club called Southgate. And myself and uh, Chris Hibbert, he was the goalkeeper at the time, the two of us went. And then they also had a uh, Pakistan international playing at the club as well. And for me, that club, uh, it was called Southgate Hockey Club. It had a rich history as well. And they were, they were league winners in the early 90s, but they sort of struggled in the, in the, the 2000s. And for me, I really was fond of that club because we stayed with the, the manager and he was an incredible uh, guy. And, you know, the Tuesday after training, we would go back to his house and a couple of his mates would come there and we would just talk hockey and just talk until early hours of the morning. So so for me, I really enjoyed not only the playing, the playing world, but it was more about the experience and, and the friendships that was made at that club. So I spent three seasons there, and, and, and I think Chris Hibbert spent another five seasons after that. And then we also had a couple of other South Africans go play at that club. And so I really, I will, I really have fond memories of the club, and I will also be very grateful for, for the opportunity I had playing for, for Southgate in England. And uh, over the course of your career, I mean, you would have had a exposure to many, many coaches, is there a specific coach that uh, you think was the most influential on you? Yeah, I certainly do. I mean, look, you have coaches that you, you really um, gel with and you admire, and you have the tough coaches that you have a bit of a tough time, but you learn from every coach, and, and that's all part of your development and your, your experience. But for me, there are two people that, besides my father, there are two coaches that had a massive impact on my career, and the 
the first one has to be Paul Levington. I mean, he, um, I played with Paul Levington in the under 21 provincial side back then, and he was a good player himself. And he was one of the few guys that actually, you know, would come because, of course, you, you feel a bit uh, out of place, you, you, you're a bit uncomfortable. I didn't really drink at the time. So, you know, when you have these fines meetings and you're doing all that, you, you feel a bit not too involved. But he was one of the few that actually made me welcome and made the effort to come and chat, etc. And we built up a good relationship as playing. But then he became a coach and, and we really, our friendship really grew. And, and he made a massive impact on, on Mark because he made me. Uh, relies and, 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 and build my confidence and realize my, my self-worth because I always, you know, like you, like I said before, you're always questioning and you're always trying to prove and, and to people that you're good enough. And he just said, you're good enough. And he kept instilling that confidence in me and, and backed me 100%. So for me, uh, Paul Revington certainly played a massive role in, and, and, and internationally as well. And of course, he's, he was the person that, that appointed me as the captain and, and, and he had the, the faith that I could lead the team. And, and so for me, that's, it goes without saying that Paul Rivington had a, a massive influence. And then the other person uh, is, as I mentioned as well, that I went to play in Holland for two seasons, it's a guy called Diedrich Donk. He came down in uh, 1990, let me get this right, 1998, the year before Central Hockey Club won the league. So he came down in 1998 to come and coach Central Hockey Club. It's by chance that he, he was doing, I think he just wanted to tour and stuff. And he then made, got in contact with our club and he said, look, he's here. He's working for a firm law, but he's also a hockey player. He's keen to get involved with the club. And the club got him involved and he became the coach. He became the player coach. And for me, it was very interesting. He brought a whole new dynamic to our, our, our club because Central Hockey Club for, comes from, a, obviously, a disadvantaged community. And we're very set in our ways. We were a talented group, but we didn't really enjoy putting in all the effort. And he brought that into the club was that you can have the talent, but if you're not prepared to put in the hard work, you're never going to really succeed. And I think he started that, that culture about, yes, we're good, we're talented, but we want to make sure that we put in the hard work to, to, to reap the rewards. And so... He came down, and uh, that year we actually did fairly well. And then the following year, he went back to Holland, and we played, and we won the league the following year. And it was all due to what the, the hard work and efforts he put in the previous year. He, he sort of built the platform and the foundation. And then he contacted me that the following year as well and said, look, yeah, I want you to come. And he identified two or three other players that were on the fringe of the national side. Clyde Abrams at the time had already submitted this place. And he said, look, I want two of you to come and play. I've got an opportunity to come and play in, in Holland. It's the Wolf class. It's really tough. You know, he was still hesitant. He's saying, I, I hope, I don't know. I'm, I, he kind of stick his neck out for us because Wolf class was really competitive. And the club was then going to sort of fly us down, set us up. So it was our, also our first taste of being sort of professional hockey players. And so that's why I also say he's been an influential uh, person. Also, once again, a great friend, not only uh, a mentor and a coach, but also a very good personal friend. And uh, we keep in contact. He comes and visits Cape Town on the odd occasion. I mean, last year, he came down and my father passed away. He made him to come down to, to South Africa to oh, pay his respects. So, yeah. Oh, that's world class. I mean, amazing to hear that. Yeah. Bruce, you, you speak about all these countries that you've toured in and, and played in. And 
we heard you singing the praises of Athens uh, a little earlier. So you're obviously a well-traveled person, and you're a person that loves to travel, and you're speaking with two absolute travel addicts in myself and Tyron. Uh, we love seeing the world. So, I mean, you, you've seen plenty and, and been to plenty. Um, two things, which is the best country you've seen? And I'm not talking about hockey-related, although it can very well be, but, yeah, the best country that you've been to. And the next country that you, you want to go to or the country that you want to see more than anything else? Well, I'm certainly going to say, and, and, and it's not only from hockey, but just from a culture point of view, and uh, I have to say Malaysia. I totally enjoyed going to Malaysia. My first taste uh, of international hockey in Malaysia was uh, back in 2001 uh, for the first Champions Challenge. And, and for me, the passion of those of the, the the people there uh, at the stadium because that was also the first time I've played in a stadium that was fully like a full surrounded stadium. It was called the Bukit Jalil. So we've played in hockey stadiums where you know you just have the stadium on the one side, but this was like a soccer stadium, fully surrounded. And I was blown away at our first training session about this the stadium and playing in that event itself, just playing in those tournaments with, it, with that stadium being filled with with, uh, with the crowd and they're very passionate and they're singing and there's a whole vibe it was incredible and and i've been to play many other tours or sort of events in in malaysia and whenever we go to malaysia i get so excited because that certainly has to be one of my favorite venues from a playing point of view but also from a cultural point of view and i wish i could have immersed, i see that i wish i could have immersed myself more take more opportunity of really getting to know the countries that I've traveled because I have had the opportunity through hockey to, to visit many countries. And you know, you sometimes in your hotel room or you're training and then you go back and you, you want to go to the shopping mall and then you go back. I just wish I would actually take myself out of that comfort zone and, and explore a bit more. So Malaysia certainly up there is, is, is one of the, of the favorite uh, destinations. Um, I also uh, thoroughly enjoyed um, Australia. I know it's quite similar, but I, I enjoyed Australia as well. Uh, but the one country that I've never been to uh, and I never visited um, is is India, funny enough. And I would love, would love to go and, and, and visit India one day. Um, yeah. Oh, geez. Uh, I can imagine as a hockey player, it would be phenomenal. I've been there on a cricket tour, not as a cricketer, but I was with there with the, the Proteus men's side. And um, the amount of autographs and photos I had to pose for um, <laughs> of people thinking that I, I was part of the cricket team. And, and no matter how many times I protested, uh, they didn't want to hear anything about it. And, yeah, I just had to. Eventually, you just get tired. You, you just know that it's falling on deaf ears and, and you just got to have to submit to the so queries yeah. and the responses. So, uh, and, I mean, obviously, we know that cricket's a religion in, in India. And, and hockey very much so, and, and we keep on drumming it home on the show, and the fact that hockey is the official sport in India, and they are just absolutely crazy about, about the sport. So, yeah, I think, and I haven't been there from a hockey perspective, but, uh, yeah, if you get a chance, you've got to go ASAP. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I've watched, uh, as, as a youngster, I've also watched some of these international hockey and watching matches of Pakistan playing India or Holland playing India and Pakistan. The crowds back then were phenomenal. It was insane. We're talking about like 50, 60,000 uh, crowd at those stadiums. So, yeah, they are uh, hockey mad. And like you said, hockey is the, the national sport in India. 
Yeah, no, it's a, it's an amazing place. I absolutely love it. So for anyone out there uh, who'd who'd like to join day, uh, who'd like to join Bruce over on a trip, uh, please do so. It's uh, it's magnificent. Um, interesting that I, I spoke about cricket because that leads me onto our one question quiz. I don't know if you're familiar with the show, but we wrap things up with the dreaded one question quiz. It's a very tough one. And many have failed, few have succeeded. Although I think we've got a, a pretty good success rate of late, a couple of hundred percenters um, from the most uh, recent guests that we've had. Okay, I'm going to speak yeah. about a, a cricketer right now. And he's had quite a storied career. And, and I want to know who this person is that I'm talking about. Born in Claxdorp in uh, 1982, so he's 37 years old. Um, he represented South Africa A on, on a number of occasions. He, he captained the SA Emerging Squad to Australia, and he also led the SA Sixers team to victory at the Hong Kong Sixers in 2009. He also played a, a key role in the IPL in 2011, where he actually shared the batting with uh, Sachin Tendulkar. I think the two of them opened the batting together for Mumbai, which was uh, pretty amazing. Then from there, he went over to Canada and ended up representing the Canadian national team before Moving on to coaching. Who am I talking about? Wow, Derek. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I'm, I'm, I'm never really... I was, I was in a cricket in my days. <laughs> but I do follow a bit of cricket. So this is quite a tough one for me. Uh, he played for the Canadian uh, side. You yeah, yeah. He ended up going on to play for Canada. And uh, I think he, he ended up captaining them, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, he was. He was captain of the, in 2018. Sure. I don't want to embarrass myself and give a, a name. Uh, sure, Derek. So, so, if, so if you are familiar with the show, you'd realize that more often than not, the name of the person that we're talking about, the clue is the name is very much relative to the guest that we have on the show. Yeah. And that very much is the case this time around. Okay, so it's either Jake, 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 Bruce. Sure. And I, and I almost gave it away just before because I I started calling you you by his first name. <laughs> oh, we're gonna have our first our, our first failure of the last couple of shows, but uh, yeah, d don't worry, you're in good company. The answer is yeah, Ty, you know, Davy Jacobs. Davy Jacobs. Davy Jacobs. Yeah. Wow. Okay. A, a lovely guy, okay. really, really cool bloke. And yeah, pity that he doesn't have any SA caps under his belt. I think he was definitely worth a few. But uh, yeah, you certainly share your name uh, with with good in good company. Yeah, apologies for that. All the, the cricket uh, fans, my, my body. <laughs> don't don't worry, we don't have too many listeners of of that. <laughs> they they all know the answer to the question as Bruce Jacobs, not Davy. So yeah, exactly. You're in, you're in good company. <laughs> Bruce, uh, from our side, thanks so much for, for taking the time um, during this lockdown. I know you are also fasting um, during the month uh, for Ramadan. So thanks very much for the time and uh, uh, for letting us steal some time away from your family. We appreciate it. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been incredible uh, uh, getting to know you and, and getting to spend some time with you and, and seeing what you're doing for the world of hockey. Uh, all we can say to that is uh, thank you very much. No, I must say thank you to you guys. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, it's been uh, an honor and, and very 
enjoyable. And, and I just want to also commend you guys and thank you guys for, for providing this platform for, for us hockey people and telling our stories and, and just interacting. So thank you very much for that. Uh, I, I've just got to say, Bruce, thank you for those very kind words. But this has probably been, Ty, and I'm sure you, you've got to agree with me, this is probably one of the easiest, if not the easiest, interview that we've had. I, I don't think we've spoken so little because... Yeah, Bruce, you, you just spoke so, so well, and you gave us such incredible content. Um, yeah, you, you made our jobs incredibly easy. Oh, thanks. Thanks a lot, Derek. Thanks for that. <laughs> oh, man, absolute pleasure having you on board. And uh, yeah, make sure to, to, to book that trip to India once this lockdown does uh, finally end. Um, we didn't touch on that, unfortunately, but I, I think let's uh, stick to some happy talk for, for the time being. But um yeah, Bruce, uh, stay safe. And yeah, we can't wait to, to chat to you again. Thank you so much. Thank you, Derek. Thank you, Ty. Thanks, Bruce. Cheers. Cheers. Yeah, Derek, I think we've we've been fortunate enough to speak to so many incredible people. Um, you know, and, and really, Bruce is right up there. Those who don't know Bruce need to know Bruce. He's an incredible player. But uh, more importantly, he's just an incredible human being and such a great ambassador for, for this country. Yeah, you do know how to pick him, Ty. I mean, they just get better and better. And that's uh, absolutely no disrespect to the guests that we had at the beginning of the series. <laughs> they were really, really good too. Yeah. But yeah. yeah and, and who knows? Some of them might come back for another one. So yeah, they could had, even get better themselves. We, we've had a, a couple of repeats. I think Gareth Ewing, uh, he's been on the show twice. And uh, yeah, I'm sure it won't be long before we have uh, Bruce back as a guest again. But it, it, it is amazing to to find out more about these people because, and we keep on drumming this, uh, beating this drum and, and I apologize again, but you know, hockey isn't one of the most highly followed sports in the world or in South Africa, let us say. And you, you've got someone in the caliber of Bruce being to two Olympics, captain South Africa in one of them, uh, played all around the world, uh, is highly respected around the world, probably, um, more appreciated beyond South Africa than inside South Africa. Um, not to say that he isn't appreciated yet, but I can imagine that were he to go to England, were he to go back to the Netherlands, I mean, they'd welcome him back with open arms. And yeah, he could very well be a household name in hockey circles there. And yeah, it's just great to, I don't want to say the word introduce, but I'm going to have to, to the people that aren't too affair with the sport, to introduce people to someone as accomplished as Bruce. Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, Bruce was not the most flashy player. He was one of those uh, engines in the midfield. And um, he, he, you know, if you think of like a Paul Scholes. Yeah. Or, uh, you know, that kind of player. Box to box, in an engine of note, and all around just quality person. Yeah, he certainly is. Well, uh, I can... Guarantee that we're going to have another quality person coming up because you've been doing a, a sterling job in getting those people on board and they are bashing down the doors to, to be the guests uh, or the next guest on uh, Hockey the Podcast. So what do you say? Let's go get another one. Yeah, let's do it. Adios.